Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo and Anthony LaPanta. Anthony coming to you from Calgary, Alberta. I'm actually coming uh, from Minnesota. I flew, just flew back from Dallas. Uh, Joe Smith from The Athletic is on the rest of the road trip out to Western Canada. And I'm actually heading out to uh, a, a super secret place for a couple days of uh, work. And then uh, back here, I'll show Where's the, the super first. secret place? I'll tell you off the air. Um, okay. but yeah, no, I'm working on a, um, a bit of a story and then, um, and then, uh, wanted to tell everybody our next live show is actually a week from tomorrow, a week from Tuesday at uh, split rocks, December 13th, 7 PM. It's an awesome, awesome establishment. We've been getting incredible crowds up there. So such good crowds that they're actually putting us in a private room up there, but uh, great food, great, great drinks, uh, darts, uh, all sorts of games, and of course a giant bowling alley as well. So hope to see everybody out uh, December 13th at 7 p.m. And uh, Anthony, man, oh man, this is, might have been the weirdest two victories in Wild history back-to-back, because I think we could both agree the Wild didn't play great in either game, yet most importantly they pull out two shootout wins, um, you know, starting with uh, the game at home on Saturday afternoon against Anaheim, and then yesterday's just crazy, crazy game where it looked like, I don't know how that team built a 5-1 lead. I think a lot of it had to do with Marc-Andre Fleury playing so well, but they just, um, I think it caught up to them in the third period because I don't think they were too, too good in that game. I don't think they were great. I don't think they were as bad as they were the first couple periods against Anaheim, not even close. And and they were opportunistic, to say the least, to take a 5-1 lead. I don't think they were 5-1 better than Dallas, but I think they were... I thought they were fine. And then you just felt like as soon as Dallas got the first one, I even said it on the broadcast when Dallas scored the second goal to make it five, two. So these next two minutes are critical because you could just feel that there was going to be a push by Dallas. I never would have guessed that in the next two minutes and 43 seconds, they'd score two more. And all of a sudden it's a five, four dogfight. but just to find a way to win games like this, this is, a little bit of the mystique and the magic that we saw so often from this wild team last year that has been lacking this year. And in these last two games, the win against Anaheim and the win against Dallas, I think we saw a little bit of that no matter what's happening, no matter how the game feels, no matter how the game looks, somehow, some way they're going to find a way to get it done and get two points. And they did in each of these games. And uh, sometimes these are the kind of wins even more so than the win against Edmonton, where I thought it was maybe as complete a game as the Wild had played in a while, where they really looked like the Minnesota Wild in that game. And sometimes it's wins like these two, where you snatch two points out of a game where you weren't great, that can really springboard a team into something good. No doubt about that. I, I think the Wild need to send a bouquet of roses to Radic Foxa, by the way, because he ended the momentum. I know they tied the game up, but I'm telling you, that game felt like they were going to lose in regulation. And then Roddick, um, you know, who always plays, I know he does it against everybody, but he always plays just like ridiculous against the Wild. I mean, just, you know, I don't want to say dirty, but just, you know, and I, I don't want to overuse our favorite word donkey, but what a stupid play. I mean, you know, like you're, you're all over the Wild. It's a clean hit and you pick a fight and you put the Wild on the power play, and even though the Wild didn't score there, it definitely, don't you think it just calmed things down from a Minnesota perspective? Well, it did, but in hindsight, then right after that was over, Dallas 
shortly thereafter, pulls the goaltender and scores almost immediately anyway. I do think they were in danger of letting that one get away in regulation, though. I think you're right. And I didn't think it was as dumb a penalty. I thought it was because to me, it's a donkey when you take a run at a guy in the corner and you you're retaliating for something that really wasn't what he was doing. I think it was a careless penalty. I didn't really feel like it was a donkey play by him. I, there were there were bigger donkey plays in that game. And in fact, I thought Ryan Suter's penalty was one of the donkey plays of the game because it was absolutely unnecessary and it was and it was clear and blatant and it gave yeah. Minnesota a chance well, to get two, the feel yeah. for the puck and when they really hadn't had it much at that point. Yeah, those two had a battle all night last night, and pretty much it was Ryan. It was, coincidentally, it was Ryan Suter going after Ryan Reeves, and Ryan Reeves actually playing uh, discipline hockey. But uh, that stems back to a couple of those Vegas-Minnesota games uh, where Ryan Reeves uh, had his way with Suter and, and did some, you know, the one where the one especially in the playoffs where in, in Game 7, I believe it was, where he cross-checked him face-first into uh, the cage. I think Ryan Suter remembered that, and when he realized it was Ryan Reeves in the corner there, um, he he gave him that 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 um, that cross check, nasty cross check in the back. And then later, I don't know if you saw too, he got him up high with an elbow. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, the one thing I will say that is a little concerning is the number of regulation wins for the Wild because this looks like, you know, I know that it's game twenty something and. There's several games to go, but this looks like it's going to be a dogfight to the very end for this team this year. And they are they are last of the playoff teams and regulation wins by a lot. And, you know, I think games like yesterday, uh, Anthony, are ones that they could conceivably look back on when they just give an extra point to Dallas. But also, um, you know, now they're sitting six regulation wins behind uh, behind Dallas um, and pretty much it's like that throughout the league, except throughout the, uh, the conference, except for Winnipeg, who only has one more than the wild, but don't, are you getting a little concerned about that stuff? Not really. And not yet. I think it's, I think it's way too early in the season to, to start either right now, it's most important just to win games and however you have to win them, win them. And what, Sometimes we've lost, I think, in evaluating this team early in the year is the fact that they have yet to have their lineup. They have yet to have everybody healthy at the same time. They just won back-to-back games. And really, if you look at this four-game win streak, without Jonas Brodeen, without Ryan Hartman, without Brandon Duhame, and I know you might, well, Brandon Duhame, everybody's got guys like Brandon Duhame out of their lineup. He's still one of their top 10 forwards. And I say top 10 because he's and, the one guy in the fourth line. Great. Was playing great. And he's the fourth yeah. line guy that played the most up in the lineup. So I th- and a guy that brings a lot to the table. And Ryan Hartman's a 35 goal scorer from a year ago. Jonas Brodin is your best shutdown defenseman who's among the best five shutdown defensemen in the National Hockey League. And you face Connor McDavid without him. You face this Dallas team who has maybe as good a top line as there is in the NHL right now without him. And still found a way to win these games. So I don't, I don't think you have to overthink how you're winning them. I think right now you take two points every time you can get them. And yeah, maybe at the end you'll start to look at it and, and be concerned about it. But I just think you're looking at a team that, as you and I have discussed a few times here over the last couple of weeks, I believe this is a no-brainer playoff team in the Western Conference. And I think once healthy – when you can I mean, just look at how different their team looked 
when they got healthy enough to put Greenway, Felino, and Eck back together. It changed everything in the way the feel of this team, how their attitude was, the way they carried the play, the way they were able to swing momentum in games, and now keep those guys together and throw Ryan Hartman back in this lineup, throw Brandon Duhame back in this lineup. And all of a sudden you've got some, you've got something going with that. And, and it's still built on defense and put Jonas Fordeen back in there and you got something going. So I still think this is a no brainer playoff team in the West and how you're getting the two points at this point, I think takes a backseat to just getting the two points. And just if you didn't understand what I meant by that, if you're listening, uh, regulation wins is the first tiebreaker. I don't know if I made that clear. It used to be regulation overtime wins, which uh, usually, not including shootouts, uh, which usually really, isn't it amazing the way, uh, we got to look this up, Anthony, and you might know off the top of your head or you might have done this research. They went, I think, from being the worst overtime team, like games that end in overtime, not shootout, worst overtime team in the league under Bruce Boudreaux to the best under Dean Evason. And, That's exactly uh, right. We've talked yeah. about that a few times. They had a, a winning percentage of under 300 under Boudreaux and have now when games go to overtime with Dean running the show, it's crazy. And I know the first year we talked about it a lot and people were very quick to say, well, the players are different. The, the talent's different. For the most part, it wasn't different other than one guy, and that one guy does make a big difference. 97 is a, mm-hmm. is a difference maker. There's no question about it. But it was there was such a difference in the way the team played, in who was used, and how they were used. I, I think Dean Evison's staff, and I've had a chance to walk in there, and, and they've showed me how they do it. They've got a – they have a chart. Uh, a chart on the wall, which then they print little cards for each of them that has their personnel groupings for every single scenario for five on four, five on three, four on three, five on three, five, five on or four, you know, whatever mm-hmm. overtime, three on three shorthanded in overtime, power play in overtime shootouts are top 10 guys. And they all have this card. And then, it starts you at a point of such organization that you can quickly adjust. So I love the way he has his overtime structured. It's been a little bit different without Brodine, where normally it was always at Kaprizov Brodine. And then the third rotation is Kaprizov coming back out with Zuccarello. But you look lately, and we've seen Goligoski on the second grouping when he's been going well. We've seen Sam Steele on the second grouping when he's been going well. Last night it was Goudreau because he was playing well, was on the second overtime grouping. And he's never been afraid to make those adjustments where I always felt that was one of Bruce's shortcomings was that he would just never change from playing, these are my veteran guys, these are who I play in overtime. And it's a different game in three-on-three overtime. And you couldn't win with the guys he yep. continued to yep. run out there. How many times not only did the Wild lose in those years under Boudreaux, but lost on the first shift of overtime. And it was it just he would never adjust that. Where Dean, I think, does a, has a great feel for that and makes great adjustments. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, um, you know, I mean it was pretty much a guarantee what Suter you know, for a while it was Suter, Koivu, and Parisi starting, or or Zucker was in there a lot, and and Doobie, and it was it was crazy the number of either first shots that beat Dubnik, or 
Um, I once did uh, the, the, you know, the, it was like Zucker, Parisi, Koivu, and Suter were on for the vast majority of the, the, the losses for the Wild. So it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't just that the, you know, he was using maybe more slower plotting guys. I mean, Zucker, as you know, is a speedster. Um, you know who was one scary guy in overtime yesterday that needs to be coached up is Boldy. Um, Boldy had one of the most miserable games I've seen him play. Um, and it went right into overtime. Like he, like extended shifts, um, you know, that type of thing. Like uh, they're going to have to coach him on when to come to the bench, when to leave the zone, things like that. Um, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, the, the, the chemistry that Connor Durr and, and Mason Shaw have on the PK. And I know they were on for one goal against against Anaheim, but I, if you look down low, it was not their fault. Um, they, there's just something about these two. They're incredibly good friends off the ice. They just went, <laughs> they just went to the Vegas lounge karaoke singing together. That's how good of friends they are. Um, but I mean, that play yesterday to watch Durer turn on the rate, have the awareness that it was Suter, that he was chasing Suter at a little too low, Shaw chips it out of the zone. Durer turns on the, the jets and, um, and you know, Suter basically pulled up on the play which was in ca- contrast to what we saw Spurgeon do the night before against Troy Terry. Um, but Durr just scored a, fascina- a fabulous goal, and that really sparked that little onslaught that we saw where the Wild scored two minute, three goals in two minutes and 50 seconds in a, in a second period. And it was a great response because that game could have gone haywire after Rupe Hintz scored his first goal to tie things up, Anthony. I agree. And I, those guys have been terrific together. They, but I also think they just, they bring something else to the table. And I, we've talked a little bit about the Ryan Reeves acquisition. And I think those two guys with Reeves could give you a fourth line with some identity Mm -hmm. because they, they understand what their role is. They understand the way they're supposed to play the game. I talked to Dean just last week about that and, we talked a lot about how that line comes together and plays together five on five, but he said, I don't, he said, I don't know what it is, but Dewar gets a breakaway every single night. And he does. It's almost every single game. And many of them are shorthanded, but it's almost every game. He gets a chance one-on-one with the goaltender. He's got great speed, but he also has a great knack for creating those opportunities. And his speed was a difference maker in yesterday's game, without a doubt. Yeah, he is. He was such a he's such a smart player and always works his butt off. And him and Shaw just have great chemistry together. And it is going to be. I mean, look, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, like I have a pet peeve when people ask me like, what are they going to do when this guy comes back? So I'm just going to do the same thing that is always my pet peeve and say the same thing. Like, just as you're talking about that fourth line, I'm starting to think, like, all right, if this team is healthy, what do they do here? Because we know they want to get a top six forward. But, you know, like, if Hartman comes back, do you put him on the left wing with, uh, you know, either Goudreau or, you know, if do you put him on a line with Boldy? Or do you put him back to his initial spot and do you maybe take Sam Steele and put him on the left wing um, with Boldy? But then the other question is, where does Brandon Duhame go? Because, you know, as you said, he could play up in the lineup, but now suddenly if they're healthy, one of these guys is going to have to be out of the lineup. And it's just going to be interesting if they're healthy, um, you know, what they do. I think when you get everybody healthy, it's the way the lineup shakes out will be interesting to watch because let's assume that Ryan Hartman comes back and is playing the same way he was playing. 
I think there's a pretty good chance that the way it's fit with steel with those two guys on the top, that it's Hartman who ends up with Goudreau and Boldy on the second line. And maybe Hart, I don't know which guy plays in the middle, doesn't really matter, but you end up with Hartman, Goudreau, and Boldy. Then you know you've got the Eck line. So now you've got Brandon Duhame, you've got Shaw, you've got Dewar, you've got Reeves that are all guys that, that fit there. I, I think Patan quickly becomes an odd man out in that scenario. Yep. But then the, the guy that we're not mentioning in all this is Marco Rossi, who went back to the minor leagues. Yeah. And I, I don't think that when he was sent down, it was intended to be for the rest of the season. But I think when you start to look at the way this lineup is built, where would you put him? And yeah. you're certainly not going to put him in front of Goudreau or Hartman or Boldy or any of those guys on that second line. You're not going to break up the Eck line. And so it, a lot of this revolves around or comes back to Sam Steele and can he continue to play the way he's played between those guys. But if he does, right now he's for sure in front of Rossi. So do you want him to come back here and play on the fourth line? So this is assuming everybody stays healthy, of course. Yeah. But if he if they do, now your fourth line, you've got four guys for three spots already and all four of them fit better in that role than Marco Rossi would. So I think it's really a – it's crazy that with a team that has been this beat up and where we've been wondering how's it going to fit, who's going to fit, how they're going to make it work, that you now might be start, start to talking about, hey, what in the world are they going to do with all these extra players? Yeah, it is, it is interesting. Uh, Rossi, I think, was told that, hey, you know, just go down there. You'll be there until maybe mid-December, and then we'll bring you back up. But as you just mentioned – um, you know, that's that's not a guarantee. There's no promises in hockey. And and the reality, too, is that he's got to play well down there to come back up. He had a good first game. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I from the reports I'm getting is that he's played well. But the last three games, the, the offensive touches, the um, separation offensively, um, it just has not come easy for him. And um, and so if he's not playing well, you know, then he's going to have to go down there and be overbaked a bit and, and start to get touches and score and things like that. But, look, they won 7 nothing last night. He didn't even have a point in the game. So he's got to start, um, you know, showing that, that uh, when he comes back up here that he's going to be a very different player. So I think Bill Guerin, I know he went to the game in Iowa yesterday or the game out um, to watch him yesterday um, in uh, – who'd they be? Chicago, I think. Um, and so it's just a matter of, um, a matter of, uh, you know, how he plays and, and the health of the wild determining if he's going to come back up here. Um, I want to talk to you about secondary scoring, but tell us about Moe's Tavern. Yeah, there's a great new sports bar in town. It's up in Blaine called Moe's Ice House. It's set up right inside Fogarty Arena. It overlooks the Four Seasons Curling Club. It's a great place to watch a game. Great menu. If you, my favorite sandwich they have is the pastrami sandwich. If you're, uh, if you've ever been to the original Moe's in Moundsview, you know it's a carryover from there. But it's a, it's a tremendous sandwich. They've got a great menu, but it's just a cool setting that overlooks the, the curling rinks and and a great TV setup to watch games. It's a perfect place. Obviously, it's got great ties if you're there to see a game anyway at, at Fogarty. Swing over there before, after for a meal. Even at intermission, you can run in, grab a quick appetizer and something to drink. But it's a great spot. It's Moe's Ice House at Fogarty Arena. And some people even do fantasy hockey drafts there and forget to draft goalies. Um, I don't know who would do that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, who knew that goalies were going to be important in a fantasy hockey team? <laughs> um, if you're like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. 
Well, I went right to an expert the other day, and that, you know who it is. It's Chris Lindahl, and I asked him point blank. Chris started in 2009, as we all know. There were similar tensions back then, so I wanted to know where we were headed, and here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on market would need to spike as well. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot, too, but the seasons and market have both been shifting, so it's hard to say that the sky is falling. Number one thing people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee they keep their equity need to be proactive, not wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris Lindahl Real Estate for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no-obligation guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Back here, worst seats in the house, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Brandon back behind the uh, laptop somewhere. In a big production Man behind studio. the curtain. Yeah, big production studio, I assume. Um, he's, uh, he's helping us out as well here as we do our first man, Anthony, it's been a long time since you and I have been in separate places doing this podcast. So, uh, appreciate Brandon, uh, and you working this out today. Um, December 13th, again, next Tuesday is our next live show. It's up at split rocks in Wyoming. It's such a great place. So hopefully everybody comes out 7 PM sharp will be the, uh, time for that podcast. You know, one big reason why this team is one seven, six of seven right now, um, Anthony is the the secondary scoring. I mean, it was just too much to ask Kirill Kaprizov to just run the show every single night, and um, and they're starting to you know it's not and same thing obviously a lot of pressure on guys like Zuccarello and Matt Boldy, but now we're starting to see you know guys step up every single night. Yul Eriksson Ek is in a stretch of three or four weeks of outstanding hockey, but look last night again. Um, they get goals from Connor Durer. They get goals from from Jordan Greenway, who's been great, as you mentioned, uh, since they they put that line together. I think I think when they started, uh, the one thing I I think really did happen, and I was talking to West Walls about this, Anthony, is I think that Jordan Greenway was a little shocked when Ryan Reeves was acquired and they put him right out with Erickson Eck and Felino. And so when they put them together against uh, Edmonton the other night, I think that was a, a chance for Jordan Greenway to say, "I'm going to seize this job again." And not give them a chance to to ever do that again to him. And he's played great now, three games in a row. Um, but you know, Jake Middleton's getting goals. Jared Spurgeon's playing unbelievable hockey right now. Um, it, it's just you know now suddenly we're starting to see this team find an identity. Without a doubt, and I think it's it even though it was in the middle of the seven game stretch to which you refer that the identity line got put back together. I still think it all comes back to that. That's the line that. Mm-hmm. It allows you to put the other guys together. It also allows for those momentum-changing shifts that we saw so often last year. And I think I think he might be right. It might have been an eye-opener. I also think Greenway just had to get comfortable almost to convince himself that he was healthy. I can't remember if you were there the day he chatted with the media in the yeah. locker room 
And he made a couple comments that were a little bit, I don't want to say head scratching, but they were a little yeah. perplexing where he was talking about, yeah, it's for sure in the I back of the my question. mind when you're going to make a hit and, yeah. and you got it, I got to be thinking about it and I, I feel fine. I feel good, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't going to be on my mind. And as yeah. he was saying all that, I, I thought, boy, this doesn't sound like a guy who's ready to go and play the game the way he needs to play to play with those guys. And I'm sure the coaching staff was seeing that and hearing that and feeling that and sensing that and saying, we can't put this guy back on that line unless he's ready to play the way that line plays. And so I think he had to prove to them that he was ready for that, but they had to do that for the Edmonton game. They absolutely had to, you had to have those three guys together. And I think, so, so I think that's where that part starts. But your point is a good one on the, the seven-game stretch. When you look at it, and yes, Kaprizov's been amazing. I think the last week might be the best hockey we've seen him play. And it isn't because he's got 13 points in seven games. It's because of the way he's taken over games when the team needed him to do it. The way he willed that team to a win against the Ducks. Yeah. And and But then you look at the... Erickson X got 10 points over the seven game stretch. Boldy's got seven, even though I agree with you. I think he easily could have had three points yesterday that he missed on grade A golden opportunities to score. Zuccarello quietly has seven and seven. Addison has six points in the seven games. Spurgeon, five points, and the two unbelievable defensive plays in the game against Anaheim. I think they've just got a lot of guys right now that are playing with a lot of confidence and playing filling roles that they must fill for this team to have long-term success. Yeah. By the way, we're like, what, half hour into the podcast, and I haven't brought up Brock Besser yet, but we will get to that. Making everybody stay to the end. It's, it's you know, I learned this in broadcasting school, Anthony. Just tease people. Well, yeah, you tease, you tease. It's called a tease, a deep tease. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk Freddie Hockey. Um, I just, I, I love that. I love that, uh, you know, it's almost like Dean trolls the fans by just shoving them down their throat. Like, you know, Freddie this, Freddie that, and Freddie is just the guaranteed three-hole guy in the shootout. And let's be honest, he usually comes through. He's three for six in his career. And, um, you know, he, you know, but the, the one thing I want to talk about is, like, even after he scored the goal last night with an incredibly good move, fans are still debating it. Like, what is there to whine about? Like, first of all, like, I am, I come from the school that you also watch how guys play in a game. And I would not have put Matt Boldy there uh, the way that he played that game yesterday. I would have used him there in, in round four like he was the night before against Anaheim. Um, but, like, F- Freddie has great hands. And there was this ridiculously stupid debate going on on my Twitter feed by some guy that I've blocked, like, 25 times on Twitter, by the way, on on – Unlike, you know, that this just shows that they're not a true contender when you have to use Freddie Goudreau third. Like, we have seen so many superstars in this league that can't excel in a shootout. Marion Gabrick, Danny Heatley. I mean, there have been tons of guys. You know, you some of the great players in the game that score a ton of goals, even on breakaways, can't score in a shootout. Teams have shootout specialists. Guys like Chris Stewart, Pateri Numelin. We see it all the time where just all of a sudden you see an odd guy go out there in a shootout in the rounds one through three, and you would never think that's the guy. And yet there's something about that guy that that proves good in these situations. And we watched 
Freddie Goudreau's hands in practice. He has great hands. We watch him in these shootout drills that the Wild does. He usually scores. Dean Evason coached him in Milwaukee. Obviously, he sees something in him. And he goes out there and scores. I don't know what the big whining debate is about some fans that just can't handle the fact that Freddie's in the three-hole. I, well, I guess I haven't really heard the fans whining about it, but I, yeah, they I thought do that, yesterday's they, they shootout. Only do, they only whine on my Twitter feed, not yours. Yeah, maybe they just know I ignore them. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and normally, normally they whine more on mine when the Wild lose because they it's for sure because of something the play-by-play guy said on the broadcast that caused them to lose the game. Well, I did hear that you jinxed them going into the third yesterday. I did hear that. Yeah, it was it was a ridiculous statement. I think I said something like the Wild are 20 minutes away from a great start to the road trip because they were ahead <laughs> by three goals going into the third period, which and I might 31 add, seconds later, four goals. Right, and which I will add, they did win the game. So, <laughs> yes, it took them more than 20 minutes, but they did win the game. And I, what I'm going to do is one of these days, I'm going to start writing down all the things we say that do not change the outcome (laughs) so that the one time you do say something that, so for example, I think it was, I said something during the ducks game that, well, the ducks haven't generated anything yet. And within like a minute, they scored the tying goal to make it Uh one-to-one. But I had also said that several times at different points in the game where then they didn't score for the next 10, 12 minutes. We pointed out the fact that, uh, I don't remember which game it was recently, but I had pointed out that a team was 0 for their last 10 on the power play. Well, they ended up going 0 for 3 in that game. So we've showed a graphic. They're 0 for 10. We sh- they still went 0 for 3. It didn't mean that they scored a power play goal on the next one. We said yesterday, Dallas hasn't won a game that went past regulation. Shockingly, Dallas still hasn't won a game that went past regulation. I mean, it's crazy the number of times that – when you you use the statistic because it's a legit statistic at some point Dallas is going to win an extra session game and at that moment people are going to say well they jinxed them because they said they were over they said they were over for seven games in a row and seven times in a row it hasn't changed it the eighth time or whenever it ends yes there will be a time where a guy says they haven't won in an extra session and they will win and it isn't going to be because the play-by-play guy said they haven't won past regulation yet. Finally, I got Anthony to rant. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, t- he- I'll tell you, it, the if anybody and, – and I have people who legitimately will – I think they legitimately are arguing, saying that they believe in jinxes. And I want to just say to them, do you really think that a word spoken by me in the broadcast booth – heard by nobody on either bench has any impact on what, what is about to happen on the ice. If it did, the Vikings would have won every Super Bowl. The Twins would have won every World Series. The Wild would have won the Stanley Cup 10 years in a row because I would have just kept saying they've never won a Stanley Cup. Oh, does that mean it's going to jinx it and they're going to win the Cup now? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Maybe we're, we're learning, though, that, that over your 50 years that you have been the one that's actually jinxing everything in this, uh, in this market. Every I did year. have a guy, I, I got to remember the exact way he said it, that he stopped me on a street corner after a Twins pregame show when I was making my normal walk to Starbucks before the game started. 
and I'm standing in a street corner and this guy was going the other way and he yelled. I don't remember exactly what he yelled, but it was something like, I hate you, LaPanta, or you suck, LaPanta, or something like that. And all like of a me sudden, walking by you, sure? Could have been me. Yeah, but, well, it was two guys, and this one guy yells it, and all of a sudden, the light turned red, and so now they're stopped right next to me, and I'm standing on the street corner. And so I just kind of looked at him, and I said, just out of curiosity, why? And he says, because Minnesota sports has sucked balls since you started covering the games. And so I kind of looked at him and I said, well, I, I don't know what to tell you, except I guess I'm sorry. And his buddy looks at him and just, I can't remember what his name was, but he just said, nice call. Let's say it was Bill. Nice call, Bill. And I just, what, what exactly would you like me to do? I don't have any control over whether they win or lose. And, and I think the guy just assumed he was going to scream it at me as they rolled through the intersection yeah, and course. that he wasn't going to have to explain it to me. But I just said, <laughs> well, I, I don't know what to tell you, except I'm sorry, but I don't really know what I could do to make it different. Yeah. And the look on his buddy's face as he looked at him and just said, ah, nice call, Bill. <laughs> and uh, Bill or whoever he was. I, but I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm just wired differently, but can you imagine – I don't know who could be standing on the street corner that as I drove by, I'd want to scream out my window. I hate you or you suck or whatever this guy yelled. I, I can't even think of who that would be for me. I, I don't think there's anybody that I, <laughs> for whom I have that kind of hatred that it would make me just want to scream at him. Yeah. I don't know. There are some people on online that you could, uh, you could just tell that just, Every day, just come after me on something, and it's always the dumbest fight. Like you could tweet, like I tweeted something like um, today, like about Jason Robertson. I said, you know, to me, what's most amazing is this guy showed up, like basically the day before training camp, and signed. Okay, and new coach, new systems, new everything. Like Pete DeBoer was talking yesterday before the game, how worried he was about Robertson. One missing all of camp because we know that how it slows you down, but that that you know this guy was going to have a tough start to his season. And what's he done? He's got freaking 23 goals. He's this this point streak he's on is 18 gamer is not a modest point streak where it's like 22 points in 18. The guy's got like 20 goals in this stand. And um, I tweeted this and, the, and then somebody, of course, goes like, well, you know, like missing camp isn't as big as it used to be. They show up and like, do we have to debate everything? The guy showed up the day before camp. Kevin Fiala showed up once three days into camp, a week into camp, and he got off to a month. It took him a month to get ready. Uh, to get into a swing of things. You know, Kaprizov showed up the day of camp last year, and if you ask him, he says that, that that he felt those two weeks before camp where he was quarantining is one reason why he didn't score in the first eight games last year, that he got off to a slow start for that. Like, everything doesn't have to be a fight, but for some reason it is. It's just, it's unbelievable. Well, like, even it Flirt doesn't have to be a fight, but we could also accept the fact that the players, coaches, and general manager know more than we do. Yeah, They know more about what it takes to get their body ready than we do. They know more about what it takes for a player to be ready. They know when a player's ready. They have a better idea about all this. And if a player comes out and says, I don't think I was ready, I'm not going to debate with them or argue with them. I can say, well, it didn't seem to make much difference. But if he says he wasn't ready, why would I possibly argue with him? He knows his body better than I do. He knows what this is all about. Even our color guys, when I talk to Wes and Ryan, and I'll ask them questions about, 
little things like, for example, we just talked about the Ryan Reeves acquisition with both those guys. And I said, is that legit when you always talk about that you play with a little more confidence, a little more freely when you know he's on your side? Because I, I thought, if I'm a guy about to lay a hit on Kirill Kaprizov, does it run through the back of my mind first? Yeah. Like, boy, I better I better not hit him because Ryan Reeves might come over the board and punch me in the face if I do this. But they both said to me, it, there's absolutely no question that it does. And he, they said, Wes even told me, I've been on the other side of it, where I knew if I took liberties on this guy, I was going to have to answer the bell against somebody like him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, if those guys say it, who am I to argue with it? It seems really strange to me, but they've been in those fights. They've been in those battles. They've been in those situations. And I'll give you another example. I, we talked about this before with in, when we were talking about injuries and the way the league releases information regarding those injuries. And I asked a couple of wild players one time, would you really, if you knew that it was a guy's right foot instead of just lower body injury, and they both turned to me and said, if it was a playoff series, I for sure would give a little whack to the side of his foot just to, mm-hmm. I know what it feels like. It's going to hurt the rest of the night. I'm not trying to injure him, but I know yeah. that if his if he's got a right foot that was broken blocking a shot, I'll take a little whack in the corner at that. And I thought, okay, if they're telling me that, then this is all legit. Well, again, I'll listen to people. Do you really think it's going to matter if a player knows it's a guy's ankle instead of his chin? I, said, well, I asked players, they said it did. So I'm not going to argue with them. Yeah, and we've seen it before on the ice. And, um, you know, and back to your, just your last in your Reese's comment, and then we'll start talking about Besser here um, after this run of ads. But, but um, I, I, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll say about the whole Reeves thing is that there's a reason why Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant, two very good coaches, started the fourth line all the time in Vegas. And it was only when Ryan Reeves was on that fourth line. If he wasn't playing, they did not start the fourth line. And it was to create momentum. It was that fact that he finishes his checks is to get guys to look over his shoulder for the rest of the game. Um, that is, that's Reeves' role. And, you know, and this has always been my, my issue. You know, I took a little shot at the bloggers yesterday because they were all going crazy when, he acquired, when, when they acquired Ryan Reeves. And look, you know, uh, two, two weeks of hockey doesn't make a career, right? Uh, like, you know, but my point is, is that there's, this was a real, this was a team that was lacking energy and all sorts of stuff, both on the ice, but also in the locker room. And we saw the video the other day of Reeves doing this starting lineup. And I know that stuff doesn't wind up on your, you know, evolving wild uh, website and, and natural stat trick and stuff, but there's a value to adding a presence like that. Sometimes when you're a team that when the GM is looking at it and saying, we're just lacking that like spark in the locker room. That, that, that voice in the locker room. And that's why they added. And now you add him on the ice, too, and he's actually playing pretty well. That was my point when I took the shot at the bloggers, is that there's multiple ways to have worth in the hockey. You don't all have to be Kirill Kaprizov. And, and there's certain things that Reeves does. You know, even him going, we, we saw him last year mocking Kirill Kaprizov. Probably not the smartest thing to do. I, don't, I wouldn't want to piss off Kaprizov on the ice. But the one thing that Ryan Reeves does that is extremely old school is he doesn't go after fourth liners. He gets in the grill of the stars. He, those are the guys that he wants looking over their shoulders and playing with a little less freedom and a little less time and space, always worried about them. That's why he goes up. He picks the best player on the other team every single night, 
whether it's Jacob Chikrin, like, like we saw, he does that, and that's the way that he, he plays the game. Let me tell everybody about Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut. As we know right now, it's freezing out. The holiday seasons are here, and I don't want to get stuck with no heat. In fact, I was freaking out yesterday, last night in Dallas, because I was trying to up my heat in my, in my place, and my thermostat wasn't kicking in, but I finally figured it out. And, um, but anyway, uh, so this furnace that I have, it's, it's awesome. I got it from Aquarius Home Services, but the one thing they do is they have these maintenance plans where they'll send technicians over to give furnace tune-ups. They do it before the summer. They do it during the winter. Um, and it's just awesome, awesome, awesome to have that peace of mind that my furnace is going to be working really well. The guy that came out from this time was professional. He was knowledgeable, and he got the furnace all prepped for this year's holiday season. Aquarius provides a five-star furnace tune-up. They will thoroughly evaluate your entire heating system, review the results with you, and happily answer any questions. And if they find any concerns, Aquarius will provide clear options with upfront pricing and review their no-breakdown guarantee. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended, which is why I recommend them every single week on the show. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. Anthony, what are you cooking uh, next time you're back in town from Kowalski's? Well, we don't get back until next Sunday. We're staying after the game in Vancouver Saturday night and flying home Sunday. So I got a week of no dinners at home. But when I get home, I can guarantee you that it's going to be steak night. Margo's been, Margo will have been at home alone for a week eating. Let's just, we'll say there'll be Margo dinners, not Anthony dinners, where Margo's probably got her menu planned out all week. So I know it'll be steaks when I get home. But I'll tell you what, we talk a lot about the meat and seafood, the produce and the cheese and charcuterie counter, and all of it's awesome at Kowalski's. But I think one spot that's a little underappreciated is their wine shop. I have had tremendous luck finding some different unique wines. And it, particularly the guys in the Shoreview store, where I shop most frequently, it's unbelievable how they just keep finding little gems and it's not the the normal stuff that you find at every other liquor store it turns over frequently they're knowledgeable trust them when you go in there but i've found an Aberino from spain that i really liked recently a couple of tuscan reds that are a different blend that are really terrific so it's it's a full service deal when you go to kowalski's you can get your meat you can get your seafood you can get the best produce and you can also find some great wines. And for me, the only place to go for any of this stuff is Kowalski's. And usually in the summer, you're getting your uh, Studio by Marival there, right? The Rosé? Studio, Studio by Marival, which is terrific. They've got a great uh, Sauvignon Blanc that I've been drinking lately, a Whitehaven from New Zealand that is really good. But they've got – it's it's all of it. They've got – I just like the fact that they turn it over regularly as well, where if you go in there in a couple of months – they'll have something different. And when I walk in now, I've been there often enough where when I walk in, they say, Hey, I know you like this. You got to try this. So it's, it's a, it's a great spot. All right. Let's talk Brock Besser. We've made, we've, we've made people wait this long. All right. Here's what's going on with Brock. Um, first of all, um, what awful timing that 
I don't know if it was done. I can't imagine it was done in a vacuum. But Bruce Boudreaux almost scratched Brock Besser on their Hockey Fights cancer night on the night that Brock was going to honor his father by wearing uh, a Hockey night, hockey Fights cancer sweater with his dad's name, Dookie, on the nameplate. Bad timing. I don't know how that happens um, af- after the game that Brock wound up playing only because Dakota Joshua wound up being hurt um, and scored the tying goal, by the way, which was so fitting in the third period in a game that Bo Horvat won in overtime. How did nobody tell – like, was – there's no way this was done in a vacuum, right? I mean, like, somebody in management or an assistant coaching or a trainer had to tell Bruce Boudreau, uh, hey, it's Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Maybe scratch him the next game. Um, I just don't understand how that – like, there's no way Bruce just did that in a vacuum. Somebody had to uh, – like, you know, when you're scratching a big-name player like that, you know that you're talking to Jim Rutherford. You know you're talking to Patrick Aldean. You know you're talking to your assistant coaches. How does nobody say to him, by the way, it's Hockey Fights Canada Cancer Night? Like, isn't that crazy to you? Yeah, it is a little bit, and I, I don't know what's going on. I'm always hesitant to – to judge something like that from the outside because you don't know for sure what's been going on behind the scenes. And there are just always things, there's discussions that are happening. There are, there are other factors. And I always say, trust the staff, trust the coach, trust the GM, because there have even been times where you and I have talked and you've heard something from a player and I've been like, you know what? I've been hearing this story for a week from a coach behind the scenes. I know that it's different than what the player is saying. But so in a case like this, who knows? They may well have had a discussion with Besser weeks in advance. They may not have. I, I don't know. But we're, I'm not around that team, so I'd really be hesitant to judge. But it, I, I think your, your initial thought is valid in that somebody had to know this. Somebody absolutely had to say, hey, look, I mean, it, here's a parallel. The night Alex Goligoski is getting honored to play his thousandth game. He hadn't, he had been scratched before that. There is no doubt that that was discussed that, hey, that night we got to play Goligoski. Yep. Somehow, some way he's in the lineup that night. We're not going to embarrass a veteran guy, have him come out there in a suit and tie to get his thousandth game silver right. stick. Now, as it turns out, it's a magical night. And the same thing happened for Besser. But it it is crazy that that could have or came close to slipping through the cracks in Vancouver. Yeah. So now, um, you know, coincidentally, and apparently this is a total coincidence. This isn't in reaction to him almost being scratched that night. Elliot Friedman reports that Ben Hankinson has had permission to start talking to other teams to try to facilitate a trade um, just five months after uh, ex- uh, a new contract for Besser at a little under $7 million on a three-year deal. Um, clearly, we all know um, the relationship that Ben Hankinson has with Bill Guerin, the Wild GM. Um, you know, they've, they've done multiple deals together on mo- myriad players. Um, you know, we, we've, uh, I had Ben Hankinson on this show from um, um, uh, Elsie's about a month and a half ago, two months ago, when, when you were off, uh, uh, I think, football, maybe something, I can't remember. 
and he basically broke the news on the show, something I had never known, that um, before the Ryan McDonough trade, that Ben Hankinson was trying to facilitate that and went to Bill Guerin, and Bill Guerin tried to actually make it work. So clearly, you know Ben Hankinson's going to be calling Bill Guerin about Brock Besser, and I'm sure it's already happened. But what I can tell you is that it's not going to happen. Um, I know Wild fans are clamoring for Brock Besser because the Wild are, uh, uh, I mean, Bill Guerin has been transparent in the fact that he's looking for a top six uh, winger, but I don't think it's going to be somebody on a three-year deal at under seven. Um, it just doesn't fit financially, even if they retain money. Um, I think it's going to be more like a rental type pickup uh, from the Wild's perspective for the same exact reason that they had to get rid of Kevin Fiala, is that this is this has to be short-term uh, additions here um, based on the fact that they have so much dead money coming up here. The other thing here with Brock, and I, and everybody knows my relationship with Brock. I love him as a guy. I love him as a player. But I think that the Wild have long had the opportunity to acquire Brock Besser and just haven't done it, which tells me that they just don't maybe want, like the player or feel that he would fit onto this roster. Um, I think that they feel that, you know, offensively he's very gifted, but he might be a one-trick pony. And the other thing that I think that, I, that I've heard through the grapevine from people inside the organization is that they also feel that he is, has a propensity for getting injured. So I just, um, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, pull the carpet out from every Wild fan that are just dying to have Brock Bester acquired by the Wild. Um, but I could tell you that I just don't see any chance that this is somebody that's going to fit in Minnesota. So I think that we should all, you know, start looking at other names because I just don't see this one happening, Anthony. I don't either. I've never felt like he was a fit with this roster. And as we were just talking earlier, when you start to look at what's already here, assuming that there isn't another significant injury for Minnesota, where would you put him? Where would he fit? Whose spot would he take? And anytime you start talking about making a deal, and Besser's, he's going to be a good player for somebody. Wherever he goes, he's going to score some goals, and people are going to look and say, boy, that would look good in a wild uniform. And But there's always that, okay, if we make this trade, it's Besser in place of, let's say under the scenarios we were talking earlier, where your second line becomes Hartman, Goudreau, and Boldy your second scoring line, that would be the logical place that Bester would land in this lineup because you're not going to break up the Eck line. He isn't going to play center between Caprizov and Zuccarello. He isn't, you don't want him to be on a fourth line. So you'd start to look at it and say, does Bester bring more to the table than Freddie Goudreau? Does he bring more to the table than Ryan Hartman? And if so, what's that difference? I just don't think he does. I don't think he fits better in this lineup than one of those two guys in that spot. Yeah, and I can tell that people listening to this are almost driving off the road or off the treadmill right now if you're listening. Like, you know, you can't, you know, Pester is not better than Freddie Goudreau. What? Um, you know, yeah, I could see He's that. Not. You, you, yeah, but like in, in the way that this team plays, the way that Dean deploys his guys, like, again, if you look at this lineup, the question would become – where does Freddie Goudreau go in the lineup if you acquire a Brock Besser? Because then your second line, let's just say Steele stays on that top line, your second line is probably going to be Boldy, Hartman, um, and Besser. Your third line is the grief line. Freddie Goudreau lands on the fourth line over what? Duhame, you have Duhame, Dor, um, you know, uh, Shaw, uh, Reeves, and, and Goudreau. It's just, I mean, it's not something that Dean would ever feel comfortable doing. Like, Goudreau is not going to the fourth line. And so I just don't see, you know, and, and then, by the way, if you don't do that, then Hartman or Goudreau are going to stay on that top two line, and you're moving Steele down. 
So it just, to me, I just don't see the fit there. Um, I do think that if they want to acquire a, a, a top six forward, um, they would take somebody on a one-year deal at a $3 million rate or a two-year deal at $3 million that they could maybe have the appetite for next year. But I just don't see the fit with Besser at six, seven, five, or whatever it is for three more years. I just don't see how it works. And, and again, it's not just the salary with him. I, I, just, I have always gotten the impression um, from, from the Wild, too, it, it's the player itself, that they just have not, you know, it's not somebody that they feel would fit into their lineup because of, you know, maybe size, his propensity for injuries, and, and just um, whether it's fair or not. I mean, you know, they've been unlucky injuries. But the other thing is just, again, he's somebody that he is, you know, like a lot of goal scorers back in the day when I used to cover him. Like, if, if they're not scoring, you know, what does he do? And I think that's the place that Brock Besser is and in the opinion of Wild uh, front office. That's just my gut. I agree. I have no yeah. further information to add on this discussion. <laughs> All right, let's go uh, through some quick quarter <laughs> questions here. Um, um, mom, 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 mom. All right, a lot of them on Besser, a lot of them on uh, top six forwards. Uh, Heater asks, when Brodeen gets back, who do you see getting bumped out of the lineup again? It's pretty interesting because, you know, Goligoski's playing well. The one guy that's not playing well lately, but he adds that ruggedness at the wild value is Merrill. Um, you know, but what do you think happens when uh, Brodeen comes out? I mean, obviously it's got to be, you know, I don't think you're taking Addison now at this point, even though he was the guy not, that originally was going, you know, so like it's got to be Goligoski or Merrill, right? They're not taking Middleton out, even though Middleton has been really inconsistent lately. Like, I thought he was really good against Edmonton, um, save for the one bad pinch that he had on the two-on-one, but I thought he was great that night. Um, but, you know, the, he has been pretty inconsistent. I thought he had a real tough time in Dallas, but they're not taking him out of the lineup, right? No, he's not coming out. Yeah. So he's like, not coming what, out. He and Spurgeon will be together. Well, I think it'll, it may depend on the night, but Goligoski yeah. has played really well. I also think they're going to be wary of wear and tear on Goligoski, and, yeah. which might sound unfair, and I'm sure Alex would be the first one to argue and say, I can play every night, I'm fine. And, and this isn't a knock on his fitness or his preparation or anything else, but they just saw his game slow down at the end of last season. He was a terrific first pair defenseman up through about mid-January and and then they thought uh, the game start to slip and they don't want to let that happen so I think it might just be a depend on the night kind of thing I know Dean would love to get a lineup that he just puts out there every single night or most nights but I think in this case you have to you're right about Addison he's been so valuable even if it's only as a power play guy his value is significant and he's been a difference maker on that power play as much as anybody. And right now, the way the power play is going, they've scored a goal every night for the last six games. You're not going to break that up. So I think it might just be a tonight. We think we can get away with more of a skating defenseman in Goligoski tomorrow night. We need a little bit more of size and strength. So we'll go with Merrill and it might be Makes a sense. situation like that. And I also think it'll be, this guy wasn't good last night, so we're going to give him a night off. And and with that, it could include a couple other defensemen as well. It could be a night where you just say we want to give Dumba a night off or whatever it might be where I think you could just have that. Now, again, this is all assuming that everybody stays healthy because as soon as you think you have too many or 
too many options at a certain spot. It's crazy how fast that changes. Absolutely. And uh, a couple more minutes in the show. I actually did just get a 15-minute extension on, uh, if we needed. Uh, I had a meeting at uh, – supposed to start right now, but now it's been pushed back. Another Boy, are we um, lucky. Yeah, aren't you? Now we can just go through every single Twitter question. Um, Tyler wants to know um, any general sense on how uh, Duham's doing. I mean, the one thing is that he's not on the trip, right? So um, I did see him the other day. He looks he looks healthy, but clearly, um, you know, don't you think he's probably concussed? I mean, isn't that your gut? Well, he's you've got a, a guy who isn't skating yet, and yeah. that there's whatever the team says about guessing on a guy's return status is – once they start skating, that's one step. Then once they start skating with the team, that's the second step. And then once they get cleared for full contact. So guys can speculate and guess. Hartman's skating again, that's a good sign. Duhame's not yet. So it, I, I think we're dealing with, and obviously neither are on this trip. So yeah. we know they're not going to play for the next three games. Yep. We'll figure it out when we get home. And Brodeen is on the trip, but they're also having the team bonding thing today up in uh, in Alberta, and I think they just wanted him to be part of it. But perhaps he could. I think they're hoping that he's going to play before the end of the by, trip. But yeah, by Vancouver, maybe, uh, or maybe in Edmonton. We'll see. Um, you know, they do have two practices before uh, the Edmonton game. Uh, Skyler wants to know what has changed for the Wild to go on this win streak. I think part of it is just the secondary scoring, right? I mean, don't you think? Uh, definitely, home games helped. Yeah, I think. I think the secondary scoring has been big. I also think just getting back to playing the game the right way, and which is strange because when you look at the last few, it's been outscoring their shortcomings. They outscored their shortcomings in Dallas. They outscored their shortcomings against Anaheim. The Edmonton game, I thought, looked like the sustainable kind of hockey that the Wild probably need to be able to play in order to succeed long-term. And so I think that's all part of it. And I think there's just a team that's developing a little swagger and it's the presence of the identity line checking. There's some confidence now in the secondary scoring and the special teams are back. They've won six out of seven. The power play has scored in six consecutive games. And that's not a small thing. Uh, Wild boys wants to know question for Anthony thoughts on the football state title games this year. Well, I didn't get a chance to watch all of them. In fact, I watched very little, but I did see some highlights. And number one, the big school title game on Friday night, we were calling a high school game at the time, but I was just following along on the on the high school league site and the football hub. And Maple Grove didn't surprise me. I hadn't seen Rosemount in person, but I had seen Maple Grove twice. We scrimmaged against them, and then we played against them. And I thought they were... I thought they were the better team in that game. I actually thought the only team that had a chance against them or that I would have put up against them this year was Eden Prairie. I thought those two were were better than everybody else. But I saw the highlight film of the unbelievable finish in the 3A final. And what a, just an incredible way to end a game and clinch a state championship. And I think most of the people listening to this probably know I coach football at Totino Grace and we won a state championship back in 2009 against Montanidae at the old Metrodome. Micah Kane scored on a, a play that to this day when the pass was thrown most guys on the coaching staff 
the yelling, get out of bounds, get out of bounds, get out of bounds. And instead a defender fell down and he ran down the sideline and scored the winning touchdown. And this play, I don't know if you saw it, a Hail Mary that then the guy was about to get tackled and he lateraled to a teammate and he scored on the last play of the game to win a state title for New London Spicer. It was, I think it was the number one highlight play on SportsCenter that night. It was an absolutely incredible finish. And I saw the, the games the final day, the, it would have been the 1A, 3A, 5A. All of them were decided by less than three points. So it sounded like just an incredible weekend over at the at U.S. Bank Stadium. I just didn't get a chance to see him in person. Right. Um, 2009, was A.J. on that team? No, not yet. Uh, A.J. Really? was uh, would have been a eighth grader, I think, at that time. and But it was just an unbelievable finish. It, it was crazy. Um, AJ's Wild year Boys. was uh, was less dramatic. We we won in pretty one sided fashion that year. Nice. Um, yeah, that would have been what twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah, that was yeah. a win against Oatana in the final, and and Oatana had a pretty good team, but we had a little magic going that night, and yeah, ended up uh, winning by. Well, we were up forty two to fourteen. I think they scored late to make it forty two to twenty one, but no doubt. Uh, Wild Boys uh, asks, uh, thoughts on Beckman uh, could come back up. He has found his game recently in Iowa. I mean, obviously, you know, temporarily, you know, would he be a better fit than than Nick Patan next to, um, you know, uh, Matt Boldy? Probably. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I don't know. I mean, uh, my gut says that since they brought Patan on this trip and didn't bring up Beckman, that, that they're not making that move right now. So, um I don't we'll think there will be any changes to the, on the, during this trip anyway. Yeah, exactly. uh, things can change. They always can, yeah, but I don't think injury. that's the plan. Um, R.D. Jones, if we sign Brock Faber after the trade deadline, can he play in the playoffs? Uh, yes, uh, he can. It would be just like Kale McCarr or um, Chris Kreider years ago, things like that. Uh, here's a good question from Jack Olson for both of you. Uh, when the Wild have their bonding activities like they've had in Des Moines Vale and now the upcoming one in Alberta, do you guys take part in any of the activities and how much fun do you usually have? Uh, I definitely don't take part. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've gotten to cover a couple of them before, but usually that's, uh, you know, we, usually that's just a team thing. And, uh, Anthony, you're not, you're not in the amazing race today, are you? I'm not in the amazing race today. And I've, they had a golf outing in Nashville last year that I went and played with the coaches one day and then was not a part of like their team tournament the next day. And that's actually part of the reason why I opted to stay in Calgary. The team, when we landed here last night, jumped on buses and went up into the mountains to spend the day at this resort, do their amazing race today. And then they'll come back to Calgary on Tuesday to practice before playing Wednesday night. And I, because of that, I just decided to stay in Calgary. I'm going to actually go watch the flames play the coyotes tonight here in Calgary. You just don't get very many opportunities to just go watch a game that you're not covering. Usually maybe once every couple of years, we'll be in a city early and get a chance to see a game. In fact, I ran into the coyote broadcasters here in the hotel. They haven't had a home game in a month. And it's just so to talk to them anytime I think about, boy, it feels like we've been on the road a lot. I was talking to those guys. They said, well, next week we get our first home game in a month. So it uh, it was interesting to – it's always interesting when you cross paths with other guys who who live somewhat the same life you do. I'm sure it's the same with you with writers. For me, it's broadcasters that – people that don't 
do the same thing for a living really don't understand what it's all about. A lot of great things, a lot of good things, but also some things that are challenging and some things that are a little bit of a grind and nothing like what those guys have dealt with. They have stopped at home a couple times, but they haven't had a home game in a month. Can you imagine that? It's crazy. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i doing a, a bunch of big stories coming up on Arizona. In fact, I'm going to two games uh, in a couple of weeks uh, to watch them play before that Anaheim-San Jose trip with the Wild. I'm going to watch them play Montreal and, uh, and Buffalo. I'll get to experience that uh, really crazy arena, the college barn that they got there that seats 5,000. Uh, Kurt Harvey-Williams wants to know, I'm curious, whatever happened to Dustin Bufflin? Um, I actually saw him about a year ago, actually, at Justin Morneau's uh, house for that uh, story that Dan Hayes and I did on the uh, outdoor game, that the, the hockey that, that uh, Justin has every week. Uh, with um, with hockey players and baseball players uh, on his outdoor rink. And so uh, Buffalo, good. Um, last question of the show. Uh, I lost it. Uh, John wants to know, where is Christmas celebrated for you too? And is there a chance someone uh, bring back home, that they bring uh, Besser back home for the Canucks game next Saturday? No. Um, where's Christmas celebrated for you? You always have fun Christmases, right? We do. It, it'll be great. We always host. And this year we actually, it's been the subject of a lot of discussion on a family group text. You've actually been a part of my Christmas Eve tradition, which is that since I was 16, so for 38 years, I've gone Christmas shopping on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. And when I first got my license, it was me and my brother. It then when my boys were probably from the time they were two and one, I would take them with me. And this year, because of family members coming from all over, my daughter Gianni is lobbying hard for me to cancel that tradition and hang out with the whole family because the girls don't get to come on the Christmas Eve shopping trip with me. So that's been a part of my tradition for 38 years is a Christmas Eve shopping trip. And I know you've come along with my brother and my boys and I and and I just love being out in the malls. I grew up in the retail business. My dad worked in, ran, he owned Hallmark card shops and then managed a Hallmark card shop chain for much of my life. So I just love being out in the malls on that day. It's, I find the, I love the energy. I love the pace. And, and now as my boys got older, it also usually includes a stop for a Bloody Mary and, a, and some lunch at some point. So that, that's a part of the tradition. Feast of Seven Fishes at the Lepanta House on the 23rd, where the old Italian tradition of seven kinds of fish at the table, and that has become a norm for us, maybe the highlight of the Christmas season for our kids, because as you well know how much we love to cook, and so that night's terrific, and Christmas Eve night, we'll have my brothers and sisters are invited, and then Christmas night, we do a you know kind of the formal sit-down meal, so that's Christmas in the Lepanta household. How about for you? You do the misfits thing too, right? That's always fun. We have it's actually it's we I don't think that's really going to be a part of it this year. We used to do what he's referring to as the Island of Misfit Toys party where on Christmas Eve night we would anybody that we would cross paths with that didn't have anywhere to go, we would say, "Well, come and join us." And then once you had been there, you were always invited. So some years we'd have 10, 12 people. Some years, one year was a blizzard. We had 25 people because we had people at the last minute saying, hey, I was supposed to go here, but it's snowing and they'd just stop over. And family was there too, but it was friends of the, and the kids loved it because it was a couple of their friends and their parents that would come over. 
And it's changed a little bit. The last couple of years, we haven't had anybody other than family there. So we didn't really advertise it this year. If we happen to hear from somebody in the next couple of weeks that, you know, hey, we, we don't have anything going on, they'd for sure be welcome. Because we usually do casual food, appetizer type stuff, build your own pizzas, something like that, and then just play games all night anyway. So it it uh, has really been a, when our kids were younger, it was a great part of Christmas because they got to, it was whoever of their friends was around in town with nowhere to go. And, and we had some great times with it. And I know you were there a number of times. We even had the trampled by turtles guys were there. Yeah, I remember I brought uh, Dave Simonette was there. So we had him there one time we told him, Hey, bring your, bring a guitar. And we had another time my brother came and her, his neighbor was a, she was either a, I think she was some kind of a singer, like a in plays in did like live shows. And so she came and brought a guitar and sang for It's just, we've had some interesting people over the years that have been there. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun one with Simonette. And speaking of Simonette, let it, let's have him play us out here with, uh, with winners. Uh, thanks for an awesome show, Anthony, and for doing this on your uh, off day in Calgary. Um, thanks to our incredible sponsors, Moe's Tavern, uh, Chris Lundell Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Royal Credit Union, and Kowalski. See everybody on December 13th at 7 p.m. at Split Rocks. December 13th, 7 p.m. at Split Rocks is our only live show for the month of December. So if you want to come on out and uh, talk wild hockey, ask questions, see Anthony and myself, definitely come out to Split Rocks. Thanks to Brandon. Talk to you next week, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in I know that you feel like you're never gonna win All oh, but the world won't forgive